We have had in the last few weeks uh, five people pass away, Billy Swanson, uh, Justin Lloyd, uh, Don Malin, Tom Woods, Carolyn's close cousin lives in the Fresno area. So we have been uh, overwhelmed with funerals of people that are close to us. So I thought today, I'm going to start the book of Hebrews next week, and uh, uh, I'm going to be calling that book, Why Jesus is the Best. And uh, we're going to start that next week. But uh, when I got the news last Sunday, I was just having lunch, and the news was given to me that Tom had suddenly been caught away to the Lord. Uh, I got a notepad, got away, and began to scribble down some notes on uh, how are Christians to face death. Everybody faces death, right? Um, I think one of the most dreadful things I ever thought about is having to go to my parents' funeral. Did you know you're going to bury your parents? Now, you might die ahead of them, but just if natural things, just age goes by here, uh, how many of you have already buried your parents? Oh, boy, a lot. How many still have your parents? Wow. About 50-50 here. Uh, and so, uh, no matter, uh, I was 27. I just started this church, 71. During that time, my father was diagnosed with cancer. So, I believe it was at June of 72. Uh, June of 72, my first funeral in this church was my own father. Uh, me being the youngest of the seven children, I was 27. And... Uh, uh, I know I just, it was hard on my brother Paul because it's an amazing thing. My dad had a brother that was Henri. He lived by about 85. 80. Have you known Henri people that live a long time? Maybe it's in the genes. Who knows? God's in charge. Our dad was 63. Big farm boy. Hey, he's supposed to live forever, right? No, no. He lived just as long to do the will of God. God took him. And God doesn't check in with us on that. And uh, talking with Marilyn yesterday about Tom, just said, hey, he didn't suffer, had an immediate transfer of address, just like that. To be absent from the body is to be wandering around. Ah, is to be with the Lord, right? Just think of all the new agers. They're just wandering. And hoping they land on the planet. We say, no, you're with the Lord. So I'm going to give you six things about, I didn't have time, dear, uh, if I think of her name, she's my secretary. <laughs> Debbie, I've been gone too long, folks. <laughs> Debbie, thanks. She offered due PowerPoint. I didn't have time to do that. Six things, though, I'm going to tell you about Christian death and dying. And uh, some of you still know how to take notes. Maybe what I'll do, I'll tell you the point and where you can go in the Bible. I won't have time to delve into many verses. But I just wrote this at, I think, a Panera Bread in Simpsonville, South Carolina. I just wrote down everything I could think of. Uh, now, Beverly's already told me what I got to preach on Thursday, and that's heaven. So if you want to hear about heaven, come Thursday. Uh, Don, or rather uh, Tom, will be talking Saturday. I've been told by Marilyn what I'll be preaching. So just check with the widows. They know what they want to hear. 
and uh, we'll be talking about it is well with my soul on Saturday, and it is well. It was well with these dear men. Well, um, let's uh, read Hebrews 9 as our diving board. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Let me give you the six points, and then we'll develop them. First of all, the source of death or our predicament. We're going to die, number one. And then we'll ask, how did that come about? Two, the promises of God about our dying. The promises of God. Are there any promises of the Bible that speaks to this issue? Thirdly, the power of Christ. Thirdly, the power of Christ. What has Christ promised to do about this matter of our death and dying? Promises, power of Christ. The fourth thing is some biblical pictures. Pictures. Kind of if you catch these P's, our predicament, uh, promises, the power of Christ, and then some pictures of believers dying. Uh, what has the Bible said about, what does it look like? How has it been compared? Sometimes the analogy helps us. Um, and then I'm just going to give you a few past examples that I know from history that we could read about how believers face death. Just some past examples. Finally, I would just uh, deal with the peril of a Christless death. The peril of dying without Christ. Um, the source of death, our predicament. Has death always been in the human family? No. We had angels rebel against God and revolted, and so they were booted out from the immediate presence of God. So you've got Christ is going to eventually create the world, but angels existed before the earth, before we did. So uh, by the time Adam and Eve are in the garden, the serpent shows up and starts lying to them. God had given orders, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You'll live forever. Just one, one restriction. Just don't touch that. Now, isn't that wonderful? Sin will always blind you to everything you can do. And you'll move right next to the thing you're told not to do. I mean, only one. He didn't give him ten commandments. You didn't give him a hundred. Well, just don't eat. That's fair rent to stay in paradise. Just don't eat. Well, what are you going to do if I do? You're going to die. I'm going to what? I just heard the serpent tell me I won't die. Who do I, who do I listen to? God didn't explain himself. He said, I said, don't eat of it or you'll die. According to Romans 5, by one man, sin entered the whole human race. It was though at the beginning of the race, you had this pure fountain, and all of a sudden, this ink is poured into the fountain, and all the water is poisoned. It all turns dark. 
for the day that Adam and Eve partook of the tree, we began to die as a race, and we've been dying ever since. Now, biblically, there's three kinds of death. There's physical death, that one we all can't escape. But how long did Adam uh, live? He lived to 900 years beyond the sin, physically. So I said, but wasn't the command, in the day you eat, you shall die? There's two kinds of death that happened that day. One was physical. He immediately began a process, biologically, of dying. The immediate thing was spiritual death, reflected in they were immediately afraid of God, started hiding from God, were aware of their nakedness, which is a loaded psychological concept. It's more than nudity. It's I feel bare before God. I need leaves. And so man and woman begin to flee from the garden. They go into exile, and they've been homeless ever since Eden. Out of Eden, running naked, running scared, running full of shame, running guilty. This is the human predicament, and you will die. You've died to God spiritually. You're in alienation. The only way back was through a bloody sacrifice because the only way you can have forgiveness with God is somebody has got to die. And he accepted bulls and goats for centuries but they never paid the bill. Hebrews said one sacrifice that was looking toward, and that's Christ. Somebody's got to pay for your sin. And if you won't accept Christ, you will pay, but it will take eternity, and you will never make a dent in the debt. It's either Christ or a Christless eternity. The whole race is facing it. We're living on the edge of eternity at all times. We can die any moment. And so the source of death is sin. Paul Ryan was our family doctor, and he used to always love to talk theology with me. He said, I love Christianity. And he was a good Roman Catholic. And he would say, because it explains the mess we're in. Nothing else goes back and say, sin brought ruin, brought death, brought destruction. It's all through our rebellion. You can never sin without consequences. For the wages of sin is death. Deny it all you want. Mr. Atheist, deny it, but we will attend your funeral. Deny it all you want, but we'll bury a nine-month-old infant. Deny it all you want, you can't escape it. Your morticians aren't good enough. Your philosophers aren't brilliant enough. When you sinned against God, we live with the predicament. The race is dying. You are dying. We will bury you. You will bury me. That's the predicament we live with. Now, some promises that Christ has given us in regard to this matter of dying. Uh, number one, let me just, he's promised, says, all men will be resurrected by me, all human beings. Look at, look at John 5. John 5. Jesus said they were questioning his deity in John 5, and he said, I can do everything the Father does. Uh, I'm equal to the Father. And then one of his 
clinchers is what he can do in the realm of death. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. The who will? You remember Lazarus, chapter 11? Lazarus, come forth. And it's often been said, had he not said Lazarus, everybody in the cemetery would have got up. So he was selective. Uh, so he said, those who are dead will hear the voice of God. For just as the Father has life in himself, self-existence, he's the uncreated God. They use the Latin word aseity, he's self-existent. Even so, he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all Hitler, Stalin, Nero, Caligula, Diocletian, everybody who hated him, you will be resurrected by him. Every atheist will be resurrected. Every believer, you don't get to vote on this. All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did good deeds, to a resurrection of life. Now, they didn't earn this resurrection because they were good people. The good deeds show that they had been believers. Believers wind up doing good, but the good isn't what saves them. We're saved by grace through faith plus nothing. But the believer is known by God producing good works. And the unsaved man, he's going to be raised because those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So number one, Christ has promised, I will physically resurrect every human being that ever dies. And resurrection is a little word to stand up in the grave. Anaistomy, stand up in the grave. And you want to read 1 Corinthians 15 for this, John 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, those three passages. He will resurrect every human being. Now, uh, something that's kind of exciting is he said he will actually take some people to heaven without ever having to die. And he says that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. He said, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. We give it the word harpazo, rapture, if you know Latin. And Latin, Vulgate, existed before they did an English translation. So it doesn't matter whether you believe in rapture or not. I believe in harpazo. He is going to catch me by force, some generation, and he's going to snatch them to heaven without ever dying. And every generation of Christians, probably since 1 Thessalonians 5 or 4, which was written about 50 A.D., have been hoping they would be that generation. Were they wrong to hope that? I'm kind of, I'm a coward. I'd like to go out alive. Any cowards? Sure. Our, our dad used to say, son, I want to go air mail, but I may have to go subway. 
but either way, I'll be there. So, okay, who cares if I die? Doesn't matter, I'll still be there. But it'd be real nice to think you're driving home. Some of you, if it happened Sunday morning service, be the first time you ever stayed awake in a service. That, boom. I mean, we've dreamed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, a whole generation of believers at some time, whenever, a whole generation will right in heaven and said, man, all that money I paid out to make funeral arrangements, I lost it. <laughs> Boom. Didn't even buy a grave plot. And you say, well, that's never happened. Oh, yeah, it did. Genesis 5, he did it with Enoch. Enoch was just walking along, and whew, next thing you know, he said he was in heaven. He walked with God, and he was no more. God just took him. What about Elijah? He said, hey, Elijah, I want your mantle to fall on me. So, well, you better follow close. Now walk along, chariot, swept right up into heaven. And Elijah said, my land. And as he went up, the mantle fell down. And Elijah picked it up. And he did 14 miracles. Elijah had done seven. Just think of that. We've had people that never died that would be straight into heaven. And I love God's embalming process. When, um, when Moses gave up the uh, treasures of Egypt, one of the greatest treasures of Egypt was the way they buried their nobility. And what was Egypt famous for? The famous embalming technique that if you go to Cairo, Egypt today, I've been there, you can get in there and still see uh, the bodies that have been mummified a thousand years before. And you've got to be mummified, and if you've ever watched the process, they had a certain chemical uh, that was in that area in Cairo that they put in the bodies and, you know, beating death. It, watch this. Moses gave up the treasures of Egypt to suffer with the children of God. Watch this. 1,500 years after he was buried on Mount Nebo, he shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and they didn't see any decay. Matter of fact, they said, that's Moses. That's pretty good, 1,500 years. And there was no embalming took place, no mummification. I'm well. Hello, boys. They've never seen a picture of Moses. How'd they know it's Moses? Figure it out. And there's Elijah. Well, well you're supposed to be dead, and the worms have eaten you up. No, I preserved them. I buried them because I knew the devil would dig up Moses and make Israel become idolaters over his body. So I fought with the angel Michael and Gabriel. We fought with Satan and said, we're going to put Moses where you can't ever get him. And he shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Someday you're going to show up in glory and we're going to say, you never look better. Said, you mean the tomb didn't do anything to me, old age? No, that's all. This is Wonder World. All of it's gone. You don't even have a wrinkle, honey. You look better than ever. You've been getting all those massages and all that wasted money, and you're still looking ugly. But when you get there, you will be glorified. No wrinkles. Permanent. I mean, I'll stay calm. In some churches, they get happy over this stuff, but... I know you're conservatives, spiritually constipated. <laughs> um, 
But I grew up with folks, we shouted over this stuff. But let's be calm, let's be cognitive. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, what has he done in the realm of death? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 said he's the first example of what it's going to be like. He's the first fruit. And what he's saying is, I'm the first one that's going to show you what a resurrected body is. And after his resurrection, he could walk through a door. He could fix food. He could be touched. Uh, he was seen. There was empirical evidence. I mean, it, it wasn't you put your hand in and you had Casper the ghost. No, that was bone and flesh. That's, well, that's when we get to glory. There will be one member of the Godhead you'll be able to touch for sure. That's the Son. Because he's the glorified God-man. You'll be, you know, when you see Jesus, and someday I like to shake hands with him, I just got tickled the song, the very thought of a man saying we get to shake his hands. Do you think Jesus would let you shake his hands when you see him? Why not? He let Thomas stretch out his hand. We're going to be there. And he's got this promise. I am the first fruit. So what have you boys seeing me? This is the kind of body I want to give you someday. And Philippians 3, 20, 21, he shall conform the body of our humiliation and give us a body likened unto his very own. Philippians 3, 20, 21. 1 John 3, 1 through 2. He says, beloved, what manner of love the Father's bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be like, but we know that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope of a set on his heart purifies himself. Amen. We shall be like him. He will resurrect all mankind. He said in John eight fifty one, if you believe in me, you will never see death. Now, what's that mean? Wait, wait. I thought Christians died. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's different ways now. Here's a lot of people. When you're ready to die, haven't we had all these pictures of the, the black horse where the black hooded rider rides into your bedroom and takes you to heaven? Death came in through the window. He said, wait, wait. Children of God, hear me. You won't see death when it's time for you to say goodbye. You will see me. For I put my own to sleep. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. Now, I want to tell you, I often say, a child is never more lovely than when they go to sleep. That's why we kept a lot of ether in our home. Mm. A lot of Valium, you know, NyQuil, whatever. I don't want to go to sleep here. <laughs> no, I mean, sleep, that very. The early burial grounds for believers were called mortuaries. Not cemeteries, mortuaries. You know why? A motel. They just thought it was for an overnight's rest. It's just going to put the body here. They've already gone home but we'll pick it up later. So, we've got, look at me as I am. Now, I want you to look at one verse, and when I come to this verse in my Hebrew series, act like you never heard it before. Because you'll say, I want something fresh. Too bad, you get it now. Hebrews 2, I'm listening for paper. Go. Turn. Paper. 
Okay, use your phone. I don't care. Get over there. 2.14. It's telling us if Christ is superior to angels, how did he become lower than angels? That's what the writer is dealing with. And so he said, he became lower than angels. Why? Why? One of the reasons. Watch this, 2.14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Why? Why? Now watch this. Here's the purpose. That through death, he might render powerless. The word is ineffective, inoperative, impotent, as to have no effects. That's the idea of the word. Okay? He rendered Satan ineffective, powerless, inoperative, in what realm? Render him powerless who had the power of death. Hmm. The devil had the power of death? That's what the verse seems to say. He could have killed Job had God not restrained him. Who killed the ten children of Job? Uh, the devil. And he said, I'm going to kill Job. God said, you can't. He said, you can... You can take him nigh to death. I'll let you give him boils. I'll let him turn black. I'll let him, uh, the, the, the pus in his body, scraping his sores, scraping the maggots out of open wounds and no penicillin. But I won't let you kill him because you've already killed his children. You killed his cattle. You stripped him of his goods. You can't kill Job. He must have had the power. Up to the time that Christ came, Satan tormented even God's children at the point of death. He had power. And you think of people. Satan's last enemy that he uses on people is he threatens them in their hour of dying. Witches, seances, anything to kind of uh, get the fear of death or we got to Got to have the black uh, image in there, darkness, and all of these fears from, and man that is dying and is going to plunge out there somewhere. Satan obviously was using power. And notice what it says, that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He used fear, intimidation in the time of dying. Tim gave me a wonderful insight. Think of what people will do to stay alive. What do you do about this in the early church? You deny Christ or we kill you. What do you do? Wouldn't most folks do anything, sell out any principle if you'd keep them alive? And the early church defied death. They sung as, as the faggots were lit. They sung while the animal skins were wrapped around them in the Colosseum, and the lions broke their bones and ate them. They would go down singing. They would go down, we shall be resurrected. 
Hugh Latimer, when he's being pursued and killed under Mary, Queen of Scots, when he's getting ready to go to the stake with his buddy, Dr. Ridley, when they got to the stakes, oh, Hugh Latimer, he said to Ridley, he said, Ridley, play the man today. Maybe today we shall light a candle that shall burn in England and bring revival and reformation. That's what he said as they lit the fire to consume him. Play the man, Ridley. We are going to light a fire today in England that's going to tell them our gospel can save. No recanting, no fear of the future. Go ahead and burn me, Martin Luther said. When Leo, Pope Leo said, you're a wild boar in the orchard of the Lord. And Martin Luther said, when they put, sent out armies to, he was rescued by his own friends from his trial under Eck. And then when they rescued him and hid him in a castle, and I visited that castle in Germany. He said, as he wrote, a mighty fortress is our God. He said, the body they may kill, but the soul endures still. After you got through killing me, after you got through lighting your fires, I'll be in glory forever. It doesn't stop. I'll go on forever and ever. Death will not stop the church. So that a motto, they made a motto in church history. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Everyone we kill, 10 people pick up the cross. Kill them, and they keep growing. Kill them, and they keep growing. Said, don't try to scare me with death. The devil's been defeated. Christ will resurrect me. He will have the final word. The final word. I've seen this with people going to die. Sometimes they'll go through a period of doubting or questioning. I think of my own father, 48 days fighting cancer and dying daily. And uh, I, as the youngest child, kept thinking, he can't die. And this brother would keep telling me he'd seen people die of cancer. Said, He's going to die, Phil. He's going to die. And I'd say, no, you don't have enough faith. Or what, you know, I didn't say, but I'd say, what's wrong with you, David? He can't die. Well, he did. Many nights, he went out of that hospital. He'd get David, come and get me home. Get all these tubes off of me. He'd hallucinate in the night. Have hard times. But there were times when we talked to him, he said, he gives me songs in the night when the hospital's quiet and all these tubes are dripping in me. I get songs, and that's where I came up. As I share with the men, 2 Chronicles 20 and Jehoshaphat, my dad's the one that burned it into me at Richmond Hospital. He said, son, I'm with Jehoshaphat. When I don't know what to do, I just simply say, my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. And he went subway. But he told me before he left, he said, remember, son, Jesus has changed the cemetery. I said, what? What did you read? He said, yeah, he installed lights. When he went through, he lit up the place for believers. There's no more shadows. There's just glory land. I got the light of the world that will see me through the valley. Can't be many shadows. I had Steve Fernandez when he was dying. I went over to see him. One day there, Satan was really giving him a rough time. And he said, Phil, I'm thinking of all... Every sin I've ever committed, the devil's been bringing up to me. He said, I, I, I'm thinking, did I confess it? 
I think I went to every person I offended. I've tried to make everything right, but he keeps hitting me, hitting me. And I just put my arm around him. I said, and I just kind of slipped into some Pentecostal praying and said, devil, get behind us. Get out of this room. And then I said to Stephen, listen to me, Stephen. Calvary's got you covered. It's the devil trying to torment you, but you're God's child. I've watched him shape you over 40 years, and he's just trying to bring up something to rob you of your... I said, it's all settled. It's all under the blood. You're safe. And just tell the devil, hit the road, Jack, and don't come back. No more, no more, no more. Now, I wrote this, you know, while I was eating at Panera, so no telling what I'm liable to say. Let's keep going. How many points do you have? You should add four. Picture, oh, no, we're on four then. Pictures of the Christian's death. Get these pictures. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Psalms 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his children, his saints. Is that beautiful? To live is Christ and to die is loss. Oh, is what? Gain. Gain. See, if we believed in heaven as much as we said, we wouldn't be trying to keep so many folks back. That's what Spurgeon said. Do you really believe it is as wonderful as the Bible said? Well, why do we grieve that they beat us to the place? Well, we want their companionship. We want their fellowship. Sure, that's the human grief. But on the other hand, on the other hand, they're far better off, aren't they? I mean, they've landed. They're well. Just, just one. They're not even in purgatory. They're not even burning off anything. It's all been settled. I, my, my heart bleeds for our Catholic friends who think that there's still a purgatory. You, it's not done when you die. You still got to do penance. You still try to pray them out. Of, no, 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 no. We, we got a one-way ticket. It's from here to there. No midway stops. No, no, no stopovers. Boom, like that. Did you hear me? You don't have to pay any money to make sure I land. It was all paid at the cross. Boom, with the Lord, just like that. No stopovers. No stopovers. I could get happy if I thought on that very long. The Bible talks about dying for us as going home. Have you ever, you know what? Uh, I wouldn't want to go to heaven if Jesus wasn't there. Now, I, I, I'm going to be sure I really believe that because it sounds pretty good. But, you know, if there's not a person there, I don't want to be in the place. The person, the place without the person wouldn't be home. Have you ever gone home to an empty house? The wife gone, the kids gone, and said, Oh, my home. No, when they're gone, I say, Oh, my house. House. It's not a home until she's there. There's not a home until children are there. And pray for me because grandchildren are about to invade. And I'm going to be trying to stay with my brother David. You don't have chaos till the grandchildren visit. The home becomes chaotic home, but it's home. You got to have people to make it home. We're going home. 
to the Father, to the Son. And see, if you don't know the Son, he's the entrance to the city. You won't, you won't go to heaven. We, we do so much lying at funerals, it's pitiful. We get everybody preached into heaven. You can't get them into heaven. No sermon gets them to heaven. We can eulogize all day. Did they make peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ so that we rejoice not only over the servant and their history, but their God who gave them an immediate transfer into heaven forever? You see, for the believers that it's going home, I prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be. Oh, it's, it's marvelous. It's overwhelming. It's used in 2 Timothy of striking a tent. Comparing living in this life has been a camping trip. We're going to permanent headquarters. I'm giving up the pup tent. Some of you love to camp. Marriott's is as close as I want to get. <laughs> but if I hung out in a tent, you better believe going home to what heaven's described like. That's, that's home. Well, uh, what else did I want to say? The dying examples of believers. Uh, some of the examples, I think one of the most famous is, of course, that of uh, Moody, who said these things. He, he was telling his son that was standing by him, Will, this is beautiful. It's like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me. I must go. He'd go in and out, hallucinate. When he would come back, he said these words, this is my triumph. This is my coronation day. I've been looking forward to it for years. He had said previously, when you read in the newspapers that Dwight L. Moody has died, don't believe it, for I shall be more alive then than ever. Is that true? I I was reading uh, uh, the obituary of Tom. Got it there on our drain. I was reading that. I thought, he's more alive than ever. He, he can never, never be touched by death, by cancer treatments, from the ailments he was living with. No more of that. It's past. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, if you can only see your neighbor as what they will be 100 years from now, you would stop envying them. You might start wondering, and just think, Let's say you're in the mall, not with a congregation of the majority, hopefully, of believers. But let's say you're in a mall, and you see all these people. And Lewis said, just imagine them 100 years from now. And he said, they will either have such glory as for you to envy and want to nearly bow down and worship them and want to make them a god almost because of the radiance and the glory or they shall be in such tragic condition that you will ache that you could have ever envied them. Just a hundred years. Just a hundred years. I think a hundred years. My dad was born 1908. 2008 was a hundred years. That's a little, that's not too long, is it? A hundred years from now, what will you look like? Where will you be? Will you be in such a glorified state has us to envy you. Maybe you lived on a poor side of town, rich side of town. The rich man in hell lifted up his eyes. Luke 16. The rich man in Luke 12, oh, he knew all about investments. 
But that night, the Lord said, I'm taking you home. You're going to die tonight. Then who gets your investments? Then who's going to get your barns? And then he said, Jesus made the application, so is the man who is rich towards this life who has not become rich toward God. And the famous saying said of the millionaire, someone asked, how much did he leave? And they said, he left it all. That's how much. You will leave it all. That's why every offering, whether you know it or not, someday in heaven, he will read off your account according to Philippians 4.18. He is keeping a ledger of everything you send ahead. We have treasures over there. Us who have been giving money for things eternal. Mess with me. I'll show you the verses. It's right there. Matthew 6, Philippians 4.18. We're not just dropping our money into a bag and counting it and saying, oh, all they need is money. No, 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 no. All you need to learn is to quit being stingy and learning to be generous to the God who's given grace upon grace. It is perilous to think about dying without Christ. I think death and dying brought me to Christ. I think of Voltaire who uh, said that Christianity would die in England. By the way, the British Bible Society bought Voltaire's house and turned it into a publishing house. Published the Bible from the infidel's house. But this is what he said when he was dying. O Christ, O Lord Jesus. Then turning his face, he cried out, I must die, abandoned by God and of men. I looked up the story of Ethan Allen, not the furniture mandate, but a leading infidel who was buried, uh, or rather uh, married to a fine Christian woman. And his wife died, left him a darling daughter that he they just wrapped her heart around this dad, a rather hard man, had written a book denying the deity of Christ. So he was an encrusted infidel. The little girl was uh, diagnosed with tuberculosis and began to wane and began to uh, lose weight and began just to look so sickly. And uh, one day she said to her father, said, Dad, I am going to die. He said, oh, no, no, honey, begin to deny it. And we'll, we'll get past this. The, the, you won't die. And uh, she said, no, Father, I've seen the doctor. And he says, my time is short. I will die. And uh, then she said, this is what I want you to hear. I want you to bury me by the side of mother, for that was her dying request. But father, you and mother did not agree on religion. Mother often spoke to me of the blessed Savior who died for us all. She used to pray for both you and me that the Savior might be our friend and that we might all see him as our Savior when he sits enthroned in his glory. Her eyes looked desperately into her father's eyes. I don't feel that I can go alone, Father, through the dark valley of the shadow of death. Tell me, Father, whom shall I follow, you or mother? Shall I reject Christ as you have taught me, or shall I accept him? He was mother's friend in the hour of her great sorrow. 
Through tears, her father made these utterances. My child, cling to your mother's Savior. She was right. I'll try to follow you to that blessed place. And who knows, maybe the circle was not broken. But when it comes to die, the infidel has nothing to give you to comfort you. It is a plunge into eternal darkness. For the Christian, it is a transfer to eternal glory. And all you must do to make your destination sure is receive him who said, I am the way to the city. I am the truth to the city. I am the key. Let me ask you, mister, have you ever received Christ as your Savior? God, how much time do you think God owes you? How many times must he knock? C.S. Lewis said that the door to hell is locked from the inside. It's you that are damning yourself, not him. You won't open the door. You're, you're macho. You're strong. No, no. When you stand before the judgment of God, you will be absolutely silent. You won't have a lawyer. You'll have no defense. He'll say, you didn't want me. I'm the judge. I know. It's scary to me. I sat in church for 14 years, had to go because I was raised in a Christian home. I knew Jesus was God. I knew he died. I knew he was resurrected. I knew he's coming again. Our father kept us trembling, always talking about prophecy. I was around singing, shouting, praying, uh, aunts and uncles that loved the Lord. But I was not saved. I knew all the right answers. You can know the menu and still be starving, you know. You can memorize the menu, but have you ever eaten? I didn't want to. I was just a little punk. I didn't want to give up any Walter T. Helms friends. Oh, blah. Didn't want to give up rock and roll. Oh, that's something worth going to hell for. Didn't want to break up with a girl. Well, go to hell for a girl. She's momentary. That was just puppy love that passed away. All the stupid sins that I said, this crowd that my folks run with, when you get saved, you're supposed to change, and I ain't ready to change. Until I went to John Howard's funeral. And there I said, if I was in that coffin, I'd know I'd be in hell, even though I got all the right answers theologically. Oh, I know he's the son of God. When I got saved, not before I got saved, if you were at the park and I was playing with guys, and if I was the biggest guy on the campus, as it were, if you said, God damn, I would hit you. I said, don't take God's name in vain. Then the guy said, you want to steal something? Yeah, let's go do that. <laughs> but just don't take God's name in vain. I'm a church boy. Going to hell, but I'm a church boy. Don't, take, don't say Jesus Christ. That's sacred. Don't touch that. But I wasn't born again. I went to the altar many times. And the night I did get saved, my brother right back there, he'd been evangelizing me all week, telling me about, I was scared to death to get out of that pew. I was afraid like some of you to come forward. And I looked over at him because he'd been working on me all week, keeping him up, asking him all kinds of Bible questions. And I looked at him and he said, 
And I obeyed, and I got saved. And when all these Pentecostals got around me, started telling me how to let go, hold on, do this and that. Finally, this old, old gentleman got down there, and he got, like, next to me, and, and I knew it was my dad, and he got next to me. He had to, you know, scrape the saints away that was giving me all these instructions how to get it. And he, he just whispered in my ears. He said, son, he handed me his handkerchief. He said, when he's through breaking your heart, you'll be in the family. When he's through breaking your heart, and he wiped my eyes, and when I got through weeping, I was headed for heaven forever. In a moment, in a moment, I want to ask you, do you want Christ, or is he not good enough for you? If you want Christ, he'll save you in time and give you a permanent place in glory forever and ever. And while the ages roll, you will be adoring the Lamb. Let this earth be burned up. Let it pass away in fervent heat like Peter says. But we will sing while the ages roll. You will get eternal life. And all you did was, I take Christ to be mine. You're making your funeral arrangements today. After you receive Christ, death come whenever you want. I've got glory forever. I've got glory forever. Today, make your funeral plans. Today.